I have no clue what she was saying in that song, but it was enjoying watching Hagen and Caleb in the back grooving to it. So that was... <laughs> uh, if you stick around for the next service, you know, feel free to kind of look back and see what Caleb and Hagen are doing right there. Uh, it's pretty funny. Anyways, hey, before we get started, I just wanted to give you a real quick update on our EO3 um, and our giving. Just as a reminder, some of you... Um, have been attending since we did this EO3. EO3 is everyone on three. It's a capital campaign over the next three years to uh, focus in on some specific things in our billing. We are doing this and all focusing on basically the same three things. Um, and so our kids space, but it's kind of beyond the back there, even that's almost done. There's a few more details we got to do back in there. Some more decorating needs to happen, but it's kind of expanding out of the building into the a park-like atmosphere on our property, and a playground, a walking trail, and basketball hoops, and and I just trying to trying to let the community know, hey, you can come and use our our uh, property and and be involved in that. So, um, and so that's rolling. That's continuing to go. Um, as uh, Clark mentioned, we hired uh, Jason Wells, and um, so he's got his start day is going to be Tuesday, the twenty-first, uh, but he might they might he and his wife Lauren. Uh, will probably be here like on Thursday and possibly next Sunday and that kind of stuff, but he starts on the 21st. Uh, so we're excited about that. He'll be helping me with pastoral responsibilities and youth and young adults and preaching from time to time. And um, So that's going to be a good time. And I just want to say this, because <clears throat> we don't talk about money a whole lot here, um, that we're just thanking the Lord and thanking you because our our regular giving continues to be strong and good and we're hitting our our mark every week. Uh, our EO3 giving at this point is the same way. We're hitting our mark every week, and so I uh, really appreciate your faithfulness. Uh, and if you're like EO3, I'd like to know more about it. Feel free to, to come talk to me. I can share more with that. Uh, it's over and above giving for three years in order for us to do uh, what we believe God has called us to do. Uh, we are shooting for about 250000 and our church family said we're, we're looking at 328000 So, um, our church family has really stepped up with that, so we really appreciate that. Well, last week, I started our Zip It series by stating that our words, both the words that we say to ourselves, because this is key, what we think about, what we say to ourselves, the words we use, both to ourselves and to others, are powerful. Powerful. Proverbs tells us that death and life are in our tongues, are in our words. And we can bring death to ourselves and our lives and others with the words we choose to dwell on and use, or we can bring life. We can choose to, to build, up. We t- uh, build up. We talked about last week that we can repel people from us and in doing so repel them from Christ, or we, with our words, can draw people to us and therefore draw people to Christ. Jesus said in Matthew... 15, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And in, in the Bible, the heart and the mind are kind of the same thing back in the <clears throat> Jewish and, and Greek culture. So our, they come from our heart, from our mind, from our inner thinking, and those defile the man. For out of the heart, out of our mind, or inner thinking, come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slanders. These are the things which defile Man. So we, we need to be aware of what we're thinking, what we're telling ourselves, and then also what's coming out 
of our mouth because all sin starts in our minds. It starts with what we're thinking about. It starts with what we're, our attitude is. And then, um, so I'm not, a, I'm not a cook, okay? I don't cook. I can fry eggs, make hamburgers, as long as the patty's already made for me. But I'm not a, a person who cooks. But I know a lot of people in our church are, because I hear people talking about barbecue and all, and what they do with the meat, you know, and, and they, they talk about, I had to ask him, is it, is it the word, the, the meat is married? What, no, it's marinated. So like when we want something really good, right, we take the meat, whatever it is, Kim marinated some chicken the other day, and just, you just let it sit there, and I was talking to Bill one day, and he, he started on a Thursday night, marinating something that he was going to cook like on a Saturday or a Sunday. I mean, that's a long time sitting inside a sauce and, and spice. You can just imagine stuff just getting in there, right? And just when you're cutting it open, when you're eating, it's juicy, you know. Oh. The problem is we do that with our thoughts. We do this with what we're thinking for good or for bad. Those thoughts marinate and it just gets into us and permeates who we are, both good or it can be bad. And oftentimes is bad. That's where the struggle comes from. That's why we fight so often as Christians, because we're choosing to marinate our thoughts in the negative and the wrong and the lies, the deceit, things we've been talking about the last several weeks. So our words are, are powerful, and so it's important for us to know what God wants us to do so we can bring life to ourselves and life to others. So today, uh, we're going to talk about another area where we need to zip it. And it's an area that every, I love this one, because every single one of us has this issue. Not everybody struggles with lying, right? Not everybody struggles with gossip. But everybody struggles with complaining. And, and I could test it. I was going to, but I decided I'm not that kind of mean person. But I could test it this morning. I could walk up to every one of you, and I could say, hey, how about those gas prices? Right? There'd be not one of us that would be going, yeah, I just love that. And praise God for that opportunity you know, to grow spiritually through the paying of the high gas prices and an opportunity for me to share the gospel through the fact that I'm losing half my paycheck to fill out my car, not even my truck. Or how about those high food prices? Everybody is complaining. It's probably some of us did it this morning. You woke up. Oh. It's my day off. Yeah, I got to go to church. Oh, really? I don't have anything to wear. I didn't want that for breakfast. Or, man, I wish I could have had some breakfast. Or, I don't want to drink the church's coffee. I'm going to bring my own because church's coffee is weak. I bet you they're not going to play my favorite song. And everybody's complaining right now, thinking, I wish Harold wasn't talking about complaining. Right? So we all complain. Not one of us is exempt from it. It's a, it's a self-focused, destructive perspective 
on life. And as Christians, God says, we're not to be complaining. As I had to move all of my tools out of the way this morning, just to bring over a large dolly, so that some of our guys could move one of the cabinets in the reception office, because we have to build a wall so that Jason has an office. No, Believe me, I really, this week has been really kind of interesting. I've been really paying attention if I'm, am I complaining right now? You know, am I complaining? So turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. It's, we're going to be in verse 12, it's page 1175. Um, and we want to look at or hear from a guy who next to Jesus probably had the greatest opportunity or maybe even permission, if you want to call it that, to complain and that's the Apostle Paul. And we want to see what um, God has said to him and what he wants us to know. And as you're turning there, let me just kind of summarize for you a little bit of why it is that Paul, from our standpoint, should have been able to complain. So he was in prison for preaching the gospel. Jesus commanded him to go preach the gospel. Where's Jesus in this? Jesus, you said I was supposed to go preach the gospel, and now you're allowing me to be in prison? You ever ever had that conversation with God? God, I thought you wanted me to do this, but this is happening. What's going on? He he was changed 24-7 for two years to a Roman soldier. (laughs) And by the way, he didn't know it was going to be two years. Every day he was waiting to hear whether he was going to live or die. Every single day, nobody was telling him when the decision would be made. Chained to a Roman soldier. Ever been chained to something? Want freedom from something? Ever been, uh, had to depend on others? Because as he sat in that jail, he had to depend it wasn't government like uh, supplied, right? So our people go to prison today and they get food and they get clothing and they get a place to lay down. I'm not saying it's all great and wonderful, but they have those things. They can even go work out. Not Paul. He gets thrown into a, a, a dank, dark, stinking room where he had to relieve himself in that room with no toilet system. Sitting next to her Roman soldier. And if he didn't have food that day, it was because some Christians forgot because you know they have other things going on. So he had to depend on other Christians to provide him with food, to provide him, to provide him with clothing, to bring him writing materials. And in some cases, in a lot of cases, for him to just speak to them so they could write it for him. And again, for two years. You ever have to wait for somebody to make a decision that's going to impact your life? Paul had to do that for two years. Never have to wait for somebody to make the decision whether they're going to go at the stop sign or not? Oh my word, people. It's a great opportunity for me to demonstrate my salvation and, and in a way be a light to share Christ with the person who got to the stop sign ten minutes before I did and is still sitting there. Anyways. Epaphroditus, one of his team members, almost died 
serving Christ, helping Paul, serving Christ. You ever have to watch somebody suffer in your life? And it doesn't get any better for Paul because when he's freed, he's constantly harassed. In most cases, he's beaten and kicked out of city. Uh, city. And then he goes to the next city, he's harassed, beaten, and kicked out of that one. He's been it's a couple times beaten within an inch of his life. If anyone had a good reason, any, anyone had a permission from a humanly uh, perspective to complain, Paul had that permission. But look what he says to the Christians in Philippi. Again, he's talking to Christians here now. So if you're not a follower of Christ, this doesn't apply to you. You know, this is just what God's saying, hey, Christians, this is what you need to be doing. Now, if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, (laughs) this is something you need to be thinking about. He says, "So so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Why should we do that? For it is, I'm telling you guys, I I hope I don't go like an hour or two today because this next part of this sentence is unbelievable. All right, just, whoo! It says, for it is God who who is at work in you both to will, he's talking about our will, and to work for his good pleasure. And then he says this. After saying that, he says this. Do all things without grumbling. That's complaining under our breath. It's what we say to ourselves. Or disputing. It's arguing. Or We'll talk a little more about what that is. Why? So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Why are we considered lights in the world? Because we're holding fast the word of life. We're, we're holding our faith out there for people to see. Why? Well, in Paul's case, so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. So Paul's saying, you know, this, I want this to, to be the case in his perspective because then he knows that his sacrifice, remember, he's sitting in prison. It could be a sacrifice of him living for Christ. Or it could be a sacrifice of him dying for Christ. But whatever the sacrifice is, that it hasn't been in vain. That people are getting it. That they're, they're putting their faith in Christ. And they're allowing God to change the way they think. And they're allowing God to change how they're living. That's what Paul desired. That's what Paul wanted to see in the lives of other people. That's what he lived for. And that's what we as Christians are supposed to be living for. What we're supposed to be doing in our lives And so God wants us to know that we are to do all things without grumbling and disputing. One of the observations I made this week is that Paul typically puts a bunch of different sins together, right? Works of the flesh, deeds of the flesh. And he kind of just puts a bunch of them together. But not here. Just one thing. One thing. Don't do this. So imagine the impact complaining must have on ourselves and on other people. Because God said, hey, just focus on one thing here. He says, it's all things. In all things, do it without grumbling and complaining. So grumbling, what is that? That's, it has this idea of murmuring. It has this idea of this inward discontentment. It's the irritation that we dwell on. 
It's the thoughts that we put into our minds that marinate and seep deep into who we are. It's a self-focused perspective on life and on our situations and on the people and but it's always from our perspective, but we're thinking about it, and we're just, we, we dwell on it, and we think about it. And then it comes out in disputing. This is voicing that discontentment. The Greek word implies kind of like this questioning mind with a, an arrogant attitude. It has this assumption that my perspective is always right, including when it comes to what God says. No, my perspective is right. When somebody else says something or does something, my, percept, my perspective is right. It's the... Right? The huff. The rolling of the eyes. It's the venting to friends or to co-workers or family members of what somebody did to you, what something, how something has happened in your life. It's that non-specific post on Facebook that you want to let everybody know that you're not happy. You're not going to exactly say what it is, but you're going to just throw it out there. And, and then what happens is everybody else, there's different things that happen. Some people read it and go, oh my word, can't believe they're doing that. Or other people are like, oh man, I really... I feel where you're at, and I understand. Let me tell you what happened to me. So now they're going to get... You see the ripple effect that happens when we start complaining and throwing things out that we fuel other people's curiosity, we fuel their frustrations. I, I, you know, again, we see this in Facebook, we see this in the news, we see this um, in politics. You know, everybody's complaining, everybody's complaining, and... So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll go up on the Facebook community pages and, and then sometimes when the family's over, I'll actually read the responses to people who are complaining because sometimes people just, wah-pa-chow, you know. Uh, and, and I start kind of laughing about it. But they, they throw something out there about a person or about a company. Sometimes it's indirect, sometimes it's very direct. They'll even throw a person's name into it about how they were served at a restaurant or how they were handled by some company, somebody who works at a company. And it's just complaint after complaint. It's just Christians and non-Christians alike happening all the time. I can't believe somebody disrespected me the way they did. It's interesting because when the shoe is on the other foot, don't we want people to respond to us with grace? And don't we want them to understand, you know, I was just having a bad day. Oh boy, not when it's somebody else doing it to us. Listen, this is the exact opposite of the example Paul has just given. We haven't read it. We didn't read it, but in in chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, it's the exact opposite of the example Jesus gives us or Jesus shows us who Jesus was, the one we say we follow. You don't see, read those verses, you don't see any arrogance. You don't see any fighting for my respect. Can I just request something of you? If you're a member or a regular attender of our church, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, please obey 
Jesus' command. Go to the person or the company who has, who has wronged you in some way, that you feel has wronged you in some way, and go talk to them privately. We talked about this last week. Please don't use Facebook as a place to vent your complaint, whether it's about a, a person, a company, our church. Please don't do that. You're ruining the reputation of Jesus Christ. You're ruining your own reputation. And you're ruining the reputation of the church family that you say you love. Please restrain yourself. Don't believe the lies you're telling yourself that everybody else in the world needs to know how upset you are. No, the person who has upset you needs to know. And you go to that person in love, gentle, caring. Now notice the context here, because the context is always important. It's, it's the most important part. It's sandwiched between what we first read, which was work out your salvation, and this other part of this teaching on showing the word of life or the gospel to this world. So look again at what he says in, in the 12 and 13. He says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what he's saying here is, well, the reason why Christians are not to complain is because it's contrary to the work that God is constantly doing in us. Do you know that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here, that God is continually working in you and in me to do a work, to do something in us? Isn't that awesome? Okay, maybe it's not. He says, work out your salvation. It means to produce fruit or to, to show something to show the effects of something. It's not, he's not saying work for your salvation. He's saying work out your salvation. In other words, show others your salvation, the fact that you're saved. It's something we already have. It's a present imperative. So this is that continually, day in, day out, no matter what we're thinking, no matter what we're feeling, no matter what the circumstance, no matter who the person is, we are to work out our salvation, we're to show that we're saved. And then he said, it's the middle voice. I'm throwing in some more grammar here for you guys. And this is kind of cool because it's the meaning. Uh, it says that the, the subject initiates the action and then participates in the results. So a lot of people say, hey, just let go and let God. No, never let go and let God. That's not in the Bible. Participate with God. Grab on to God. Work with God. Team up with God. We're to be actively involved in our response to life. We are to work out the salvation that God has given us. We are to show that. The word at the beginning there, the prefix is kata. And it, it means, uh, it actually intensifies the working out. In other words, this is hard. Paul's not saying it's not hard. I'm not saying it's not hard. We all know it's not easy. It's It's hard. It's actually used um, when you're describing how the, the, the guys who were in the silver mines are going in and working hard to get the silver out. And, and, how they, they, and it was more than just working hard. It was 
getting every ounce of silver they can. And so what we want to do as Christians, we want to, we want to work hard to show the people that we're saved, and we want to show them how it affects every single area of our life, including our words and whether we complain or not. It's not a half-hearted. This is fully focused, 100%. Day in, day out, working hard. And we're supposed to do this out of fear and trembling. Not, not being scared, because God's already taken our wrath, right? And Jesus took our wrath. This has this idea of reverence and respect. It has this idea of quivering. In the Greek, it's actually, um, with fear and trembling, work it out. And, and so it's emphasizing it. It means a deep respect, a deep desire to please God. This one who has saved us, the one who is at work in us, I want to please him. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I, I want to do it. But it also speaks to this trust of ourselves. That we know, left to ourselves, we're going to mess up. If I try to do this in and of myself, I'm going to not be able to do it because my thinking is sinful. My responses are sinful. Only when they're under control of God are my thoughts his thoughts, and I'm empowered to do life his way. Now, here's that incredible uh, part of this passage. Man, uh, if you, you know, as, as guys always say, you know, there's nothing, you don't hear anything else, hear this. Man, just circle this in your Bibles. If you're taking notes, circle this in your notes. Yell at yourself. Listen here, you know, all caps, exclamation point, set a timer. So that, or your alarm, so when you get home today, your alarm goes off. Why should it? Oh, I'm supposed to go back and look at this. Because it says this. God knows that we lack the desire to do this, and he lacks, we lack the power to do this. And so it says that God is at work in you. By the way, this is a present tense. God is day in, day out, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what you think or what you may be feeling, because he always thinks perfectly, <laughs> he responds perfectly. He is at work in you. He's going to produce in you what is his good pleasure, which we'll talk about here in a second. Now, how does he do that? This is where it gets cool. By changing your and my desire to do it. Isn't that awesome? No, seriously, come on. Somebody, I know, I know we're not a big amen church. You don't say amen, but you, know, you can go, oh, nice. Yeah, you go, cool, or thumbs up, or something. God's saying, listen, I know in and of yourself, you don't even have a desire to do this. So I want to give you the desire to do this. And I know you don't have the power to do this. And so I want to give you the power. So he's going to work to will and to work according to his good pleasure. So how does this play out? First Thessalonians, I was going to take it to Romans, but we do Romans a lot. So I'm going to say, there's an, I'm going to let you know, there's another place in the Bible where this is true. First Thessalonians, Paul's talking. He says, 
For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when we heard of God, so that to us it's the Bible today, then they were getting it, you know, verbally, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men. Um, you know, I just was having a conversation this morning. Pastors, you know, I could, I could get plain right now. I could say, you know, past, people don't give pastors the credit that they deserve. <laughs> the respect that we deserve. Because when, when people talk about struggling in life and that kind of stuff, they'll go to a therapist. They'll go to a psychiatrist. They'll go to a psychologist. Because why? They're licensed. I have education. Just FYI. I have training. I may not have a license, but I have counseling training. But here's what I got. Look what God says. You accepted it, not as the word of men. Guys, listen. You tell me I'm wrong. Feel free. Study yourself. And if I'm wrong, I'll, t- I'll admit I'm wrong. I'm not giving you my thoughts. I'm giving you what God says. The best is I've been able to study it and know it for the last 25 years of my life. Plus, I'm not sure if it counts when you're in high school and you're studying the Bible, but when I was an adult in my training, but for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work, it really means works its work. It produces its effect in you who believe. In other words, you who put your full weight of trust in it. That God's word, the Bible, does its work in us. That they accepted it for what it was and it showed in their life. What he's saying there is, it's only God's word that will change our desires. That will change our thinking. We can't do this Christian life without God's word. Why do you think I hound on this so much? And then those of you who are taking it and reading God's Word, you know exactly what I'm saying. God changes the way you think. He gives you a different perspective on life. Life isn't the, the, the bowl of poop that we think it is. Even though we can point to different pieces of poop in it, but it's not. Because God's got something that He's doing. He's working in us. If we would just allow Him to do it, to trust Him with our full weight of trust. We do it for salvation, we say. Why don't we do it for our life? See, we train ourselves to think. We did it since we were a little kid. We've trained ourselves to think. Prior to Christ, we thought the way we thought. And we trained ourselves to think that way. And it was all wrong. And then when we came to Christ, we still had that thinking. And for a lot of Christians, they're still training themselves to think not like a Christian. Because they're believing everybody else and themselves over what God is saying. This goes beyond the complaining. God's saying, listen, I can change your perspective. I can change your desires. I I can change the way you think. You just got to join up with me. You got to team up. You got to get my word into you so that I can begin to 
change the way you think so that then you can join in and train yourself to think the way he thinks about everything. God knows that, that our happiness, if you want to use that word, or our joy or our contentment, he knows it only comes from him. He's not going to let us be satisfied with anything but him. We're not going to find satisfaction in doing life contrary to what he says because that won't give us what he wants to give us, which is true contentment, true happiness. God wants to give us the truth so he can change the way we think, so we can have our minds marinate in his truth. That's what meditation is. And then empower us to live that truth. And he's gonna, what he's going to do is that he's, he's developing in us and growing us, working in us for his good pleasure. What is good pleasure? It, this means that which pleases him. He wants to do that which pleases him in us. It's not a better version of us. Man, I hear that a lot. God doesn't want a better version of you and me. There's nothing good in us. That's why he saved us. He wants a version of Christ, if you want to put it that way. He wants us to think and respond more and more like Christ. Look what he says in Philippians 1.6. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. So when you came to Christ, at that moment, God was then beginning to do a good work in you. And he's going to continue that good work until Jesus Christ returns. And just in chapter 1 alone, what is the good work? Sharing the gospel. Verse 9, sacrifice more of yourself for others. That's love. Grow in wisdom to make the best decisions. And then verse 10 as well, live a genuine Christ-like life. Those are just from chapter 1 and up to verse 10. Go throughout all Philippians. Study out the Bible. Find out what it is that God's good pleasure is. God's 100% committed to changing you. And he will if you team up with him. Get into his word. Let me just give you a quick illustration. That's my buddy. That's Ollie. Ollie loves to be on Bapa's Toto. Okay. And so every now that he's been on it, every time he sees me, doesn't matter if we're at the house or not, Bapa Toto? Me, Papa Toto. Are you speaking Spanish? I don't know. What do you, you know. But so, so just if you want, kind of go back. Picture, picture this. My good pleasure is for the lawn to be mowed. My my grandson likes me, and so he also likes the tractor. By the way. Maybe he likes to attract him more than me. Whatever the case. And so what does he do? He gets up. He sits with me. And I, I wish I had a better picture than this because I'm in the back part of our property, and, which is a lot, lot wider. And, and you'll see him. He's got the steering wheel. And he's looking around. You know. And what am I doing? Smiley, yeah. I'm, I'm, this is pleasing to me. But I'm also adjusting the steering wheel so it stays straight because you can't have crooked lines. I'm adjusting the speed and making sure we don't crash into a tree. And what's happening? He's doing 
what I want him to do, mow the lawn. And he's getting pleasure out of it because he's doing it. But he could never do it if I was not sitting there making, he would crash into trees. He would go off into the field. I hate this thing. He'd go out into the road. So to sum it up, we team up with God by sitting with him in his word. So we can grow in our desire to be obedient and then he empowers us to be obedient. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. All right. One more thing that he talks about, I'm going to run through very quickly. He says, Christians, don't ever complain because complaining is completely opposite, all right, than what God's doing in us. And then secondly, it's completely contrary to the gospel that we share. Look what he says, 14 through 16 again, quickly. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? So that you, there's a lot of words here. I'm going to kind of shrink it down. So you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. That's spiritual maturity, spiritual growth. Children of God, above reproach. So people will know, oh yeah, that's, that's a Christian. That, that person's a Christian and you can't argue that they're doing life God's way. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Why are we to be lights in the world? So that we can hold fast the word of life. We're going to be putting the gospel out there. So quickly, not complaining proves us. It trains us. This is part of our process. We continue to become more and more blameless, more and more innocent, more and more like children of God. We, we grow spiritually is what he's saying there. And again, it goes back to God's good pleasure that he's trying to work in us. That we become more like Christ. And as we ask him to help us not complain, we become more spiritually mature by not complaining. We become more like Jesus and then we show others that we're the child of God that we claim to be. That's, again, spiritual maturity. Not complaining makes the light we shine in this world brighter and brighter. And we have a job to do. You want to know what your purpose is? Your purpose is to represent Christ in every situation, to every person. And by not complaining, we, we shine brighter. People will realize, wow, that person's different. They're not complaining about gas prices. They're not complaining about food costs. They're talking about trusting God in all of it. They're nuts. And then, why are we shining bright? See, not complaining shows or allows us to, to put the gospel out there. Because people are going to ask us. You say, hey, listen, you know, I gave my life to Christ, and God says He's going to provide and protect and fight for me, and, and I trust Him in that. And so I'm trying to make right decisions, I'm spending time with Him in the Word. I'm being a part of my church family. I'm doing what he's called me to do. And then I try to make the right decisions based off of what he challenges me to do. Holding fast has this idea of holding forth or putting it out there like, like Indiana Jones when he's in the you know, caves. He's got the, I don't know, I keep going back to Indiana Jones, but you know, he's got this torch, right? You don't see the guy doing this and walking forward. They put it out there so they can see where they're going. So people can see how to follow of course, the word of life is the gospel. Complaining may not seem like a big deal, 
But God says it is. Are we going to believe him? Are we going to not think the way we think? And are we going to think the way God thinks and say, no, man, this is so important, so powerful, so potentially effective in bringing people to Christ if I don't complain, so much so that he only put this in here. Are we going to obey that? Are we going to work on it? I get it. It's not going to be easy. Believe me, it's not going to be easy. Are we going to work on it? A couple takeaways. First of all, if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, that's where it starts. And again, this is, a, this is a promise that God gives to Christians. And so you need to do that. You need to establish that relationship. And it's, it's very easy. It's just you having a conversation with God and, and realizing, hey, you know, I've, I've sinned against you and that's what's between you and me. And if I were to die without you forgiving me, I would spend eternity in hell. And I understand that Jesus Christ took your wrath, took your punishment for me. And you just have that conversation with God and say, will you please forgive me of my sins? And I'm trusting in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. The Bible tells us when you do that, He forgives us, forgives you of your sin. He places God the Holy Spirit in you. He adopts you into His family. You become a, a child of God. And now, as you spend time in His Word, He'll change the way you think. He'll change your desires. And you'll watch Him empower you to do life His way. And secondly, is God convicting you of your need to stop complaining or any other sin? Because this, this, imply, you know, this impacts every one of them. But are you feeling, oh yeah, man, I, I need, man, it's awesome, it's great. Then get with God. And if you need help doing that, come talk to me. But get with God, get into his word. Let him begin to change the way you think. Change your desires. And let him then empower you to do life God's way. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and for the opportunity to look into this passage. Man, it's just so, so good, so encouraging, so um, motivational to be able to go, man, you want to change the way we think. You have to change the way we think. And you want to give us the power that we need to do life your way. That we don't have to go alone. We just need to sit with you. We need to be with you. We need to let you be working in and around us and helping us to accomplish your good pleasure, living out our salvation and drawing people to you for salvation. Lord, give us the ability to do that. Give us the want to. Take away the distractions and the things that might keep us from you so we can get this week started doing it this way. Praising us in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for being with us. Have a great rest of the day.